All right, welcome to Impact this morning. How's everyone doing today? Yeah, and aren't you glad you came to church this morning? A couple of you are glad you came to church. Some of you are still waking up. Well, hey, I am John. I'm one of our pastors here. And if you're new to Impact, I just want to say welcome. We're glad you're here. Aren't we glad you're here? We're glad you're here. We are in a series called Stardust. We're in week five of our series, Stardust. And I don't know if you uh, have thought about this recently, but there's there are some things that Jesus says about himself in scripture that he says only about himself. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. That's non-negotiable. It's not, it's not someone else. It's not something else. It's Jesus. I'm not the way, the truth, the life. You're not the way, the truth, and the life. But there are some things that Jesus says. In fact, I th- really, it's only one that I'm aware of where Jesus says something about himself, identifying that he is something, and then he turns it, and he says, you know what? You are too. He says, I am the light of the world. And he actually tells the church, his church, us, his bride, he says, you're the light of the world. He's the light of the world, and we are the light of the world. He says in the book of Matthew that we are to be the salt and the light. This is what stardust is all about, us refracting the light of God to other people. Jason kicked off our series talking about luminosity, talking about this idea of us being a light, shining stars in a warped and crooked generation. Week two, Jesse got up here and preached. And don't you love Jesse here? Yeah. And Jesse got up and shared about our, our next gen and about Impact Youth. And I'm sporting some of the Impact Youth wears up here. I'm trying to fake like I'm younger than I am. And then uh, week three, Sarah got up and shared from Matthew 28, the Great Commission, talked about outreach, some new initiatives that we're doing here at Impact with prison ministry and with assisted living facilities. And so many of you have stepped up and you're like, I wanna serve, I wanna get involved, I'm on board. Last week, Jason preached from Hebrews chapter six. Don't you love this text in Hebrews chapter six? Being diligent to the very end. Don't you wanna be diligent to the very end? helping like you've always helped, what the author says. And this week, I wanna talk about reflecting and shining the light of God's love. This week is about love, but in a word, I'm not actually talking about love as much as I'm talking about a word that personifies or that actually examples love to other people, and it's this word, welcome. You hear it all the time. I said it actually at the very beginning of of my message, Uh, I I would imagine uh, Justice or Sarah said at the very beginning of the service, people said it out here. You hear it as you drive through a drive-through. Welcome to Arby's. How can I take your order? Welcome to McDonald's. Welcome to Bigby. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We hear it all the time. We say it all the time and it's fleeting. We say it and I'm not sure if we even really grasp the weight of its meaning, welcome. How do companies, I wanna ask this question as we begin today. How do companies succeed at building a welcoming culture? Think with me. What do companies do? The best of the best in the service industry, what do they do to build a welcoming culture? I know some of the things I see as an example of what they've done to build a welcoming culture. These are really, these are basics. You walk into a lobby, you walk into a facility and you have, there are chairs to sit in. Chairs that are comfy. You don't want those stiff ones. You want ones that you kind of collapse into. 
and you just, they morph around your body. You know those kind of chairs and you never want to get up again. I like those kind of chairs. Don't you like those kind of chairs? Cushions. How about you go into a restroom at the facility? What kind of toilet paper do they have? <laughs> Is it one ply? Ain't nobody got time for that. Okay, that's not, that's, no, we're not doing this one ply stuff. We need the soft kind of toilet paper that like says, I love you to your butt. All right, that is the kind of welcome we're talking about. I'm, how about this cleanliness? Have you walked into a facility? I know people who've walked into restaurants. They've gone into, a rest, in, into the restroom and they're like, I'm not sticking around. Have you done that before? Well, this is all about perception of welcome and hospitality. Coffee, TVs on the wall for entertainment, music playing in the background. What kind of music is it? Is it like hardcore? No, it's soft. It's nice. It's welcoming. I know there are actually places Disney does this the best. Whatever you feel about Disney does the the per, all of like the details of what people feel coming into a space, they do it so well. My wife and I were visiting, it was, this was for a medical conference that she had down in Orlando. And we walked into some of the resorts and in the resorts, they have smells. Did you know this? They have smells piped through their ductwork. And so we walk in and you're like, what is that? Do I smell lavender? You walk into a different room and something different. They had different smells for different rooms in different facilities. Their attention to detail so that you would feel welcomed. You would feel at home. 2000 years ago, there was a, a guy who wrote a, a letter to a church, a small church that we don't know exactly who it was written to. And he writes about welcome. He writes about hospitality. You know, I really do believe that if there's any institution on this earth that should be the best at hospitality and welcome, it should be the church. Can I hear an amen? Do you believe that? If there is an institution in the world today, in the world historically, that should be the best at welcoming people through the love of God, it should be the church. It shouldn't be IBM or Disney or McDonald's or it should, it should be the church. I wanna to talk to you about a letter. This, this has been super um, exciting for me to prepare for this week because honestly, if you'd ask me what this book of the Bible was about a week and a half ago, I'm not sure, this is kind of embarrassing. I'm not sure that I could have told you particulars about this particular book of the Bible. It's the shortest book of the Bible in all 66 books. I could have told you a lot of other letters, a lot of other details, a lot of other pieces, but this particular letter, I couldn't have told you a whole lot about. It's written by John the Elder, also known as John the Apostle or John the Beloved. He was one of the disciples. John was responsible for writing the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. Uh, John was the last living apostle or the last living disciple. Out of all 12 of them, we know that Judas died first and then we know that John died last. John actually, he was, according to church history, John was, they ordered him to be killed, um, to be martyred by boiling him in a vat of oil. And he survived. Could you imagine surviving that, the kind of burns you would have on your body, the kind of sores for the rest? He survived that. 
And so instead of putting him to death or capital punishment twice, they exiled him to an island called Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation and received this apocalyptic vision from the Lord. Last living disciple, one of Jesus' inner three disciples. You know, there were 12 guys that were chosen and of the 12, Jesus had three that he was like closest to. And these were the three guys that like went with him everywhere. They actually got to see things that the rest of the disciples didn't get to see. Peter, James, and John. This letter that we're going into today that we're gonna read all of because it's only, it's very, very short. It's 3 John. Do you know what 3 John's all about? Have you read 3 John recently? I've never preached from 3 John. I've never heard someone preach from 3 John. We're talking about 3 John. The letter was written to an unknown church. It was a house church. A lot of house churches during that day because they were persecuted. They met in small pockets. Uh, Not unlike churches around the globe today where the church is persecuted in other countries and in, in Asia and in other locations around the world. Written to an unknown church, a house church, it's the shortest book in the entire Bible, only 219 words. That's like, that's like half the words of one of our church emails. <laughs> Isn't that right, Jay? That's it. So, I mean, do you know what I'm talking about? This is short. This is, this is a little little book. And most of the time, if you've read through it, you probably just blow through it. It's the only book in the New Testament that doesn't mention Christ or Jesus. It mentions God and it mentions God by the name. It says, for the sake of the name. There are some other characters before we read the text that I want to talk to you about. There are three guys that are predominantly talked about throughout this, this book. And they're all three Greek names. This means at this point in history, the diaspora has happened in the book of Acts where it says, and they will go from uh, Jerusalem and Judea and they will go to the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth is happening. Aren't you glad for that? Like Greek people were being reached. These three names are all Greek names. They're not Hebrew names. The first is this, Gaius. The letter was written to this guy from John, the apostle, written to this guy named Gaius. He's a leader who welcomed missionaries into his house or into his community. There's a second name that we find in the text. You'll see his name, Diotrephes. An unfortunate name, uh, kind of a name that's been besmirched by how he's described in this book. You wouldn't wanna name your kid Diotrephes just like you wouldn't wanna name your kid Judas. Diotrephes was a me first kind of leader, a me first kind of person. Do you have any of that around you? Do you have any of that in you? All of us. He's a me first kind of leader. He's selfish and unwelcoming. And then there's a third name, Demetrius. He's the mailman. Uh, He's the one that takes the letter. He's delivering this letter for John. So let's get into the text. Third John, no chapters. Chapter one, there is no chapter. It's just third John verse one. And this is how it reads. The elder to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. This isn't really part of the message, but we could preach about this a whole long time. Isn't this interesting that John here is praying not only for the spiritual health of his friend, but for the physical health of his friend. So many times in the church, we come at ourselves and at other people with this kind of dualistic or multiplistic mindset. Like I am 
uh, mostly just a spirit. I'm mostly just this, and I just really need to make sure that my spirit's healthy, but I can eat and drink anything I want. And John's like, that's not really true. You, you actually, I want, I want you to be healthy in soul, mind, body, spirit, all of these. I want you to be healthy emotionally. Are you healthy relationally with people? Are you healthy physically? And so he's praying that his soul may be healthy and that his body may be healthy. I can't preach on this, but I wanna, you can tell I wanna preach on this. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, he says it again. Notice he calls him dear friend. This, this, uh, this word for friend or dear friend, it's actually, we, we have it two, two words in our text. It's actually beloved. It's the same word that John is called all throughout his gospel. He is the beloved disciple. It's very interesting, and this, this is something maybe to note for yourself. The way that you're perceived, the way that you, that you view yourself perceived from God is the way that you end up projecting perception and love onto other people. So you see, John spent three years with Jesus and he knew that he was loved by Jesus. So he was able to then channel the same love to other people and literally call his friends beloved because he was beloved. This translates like this. When you know that you're forgiven, you forgive other people. When you've received joy, you give joy. When you've received peace, you project and you give peace. When you've received the love of God, you dish out and dole out the love of God. Beloved, dear friend, you are faithful in doing for what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They've told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name. This is where, he, this is where he's alluding to Jesus. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought to therefore show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. Can you believe it? He also stops those who want to welcome other believers who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but imitate what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone even by the truth itself. I love that. And we also speak well of him and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face. Isn't that interesting? Even 2000 years ago before these, like he's like, I don't wanna talk to you through this. I don't wanna talk to you through pen and ink. I wanna talk to you face to face. This is just a little side note. If you can choose between a text and talking to the person in person, choose talking to them in person, all right? There you go. Just take that home for whatever it's worth. Peace to you, the friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. Church, today in our time together, I wanna to talk about four steps to create a welcoming culture and four steps through these characters by looking at Gaius's life and how John describes him 
And then how John describes Diotrephes, I wanna talk about four steps to kill a welcoming culture. This is for your family, this is for your marriage, this is for your friends, students, this is for school, this is for your sport team. How can you create a welcoming culture versus how you can kill a welcoming culture? Four steps to create a welcoming culture begin with this, be dependable. Um, I wouldn't have chosen this if it hadn't been right here in the text. Over and over again, one of the first things that, that John says about his friend Gaius is that he's faithful to walk in the truth and he continues to walk in it. He's faithful, he's faithful. I've heard about your faithfulness. I heard that you're faithful. You know what, in a word for today, for us, a word that we use for faithfulness is dependability, reliability. Do you have staying power? Or are you, are you like flash in the pan type of a person? Here today, gone tomorrow. Bah, I got excited about it, but I really, really lost its luster pretty fast. Faithful, faithfulness. We want the fanfare, we want productivity, we want even fruitfulness, and fruitfulness is great, but you won't get fruitfulness without faithfulness. Amen. We want the growing return on investment, and I think sometimes we miss be dependable. Second is this, we four steps to create a welcoming culture. Walk in truth. Walk in truth. So I already told you this, John wrote the book of the gospel of John, then first, second, third John and Revelation. Actually, it's five books. I said four, didn't I? Math. <laughs> I'm good at math. In first, second and third John, one of the themes, and we don't have time to like dig, dig into it today, but one of the themes that John talks about throughout these three books is truth. And most of the time when he talks about truth, walking in truth, if you skip back a couple of books and you go to 1 John, what John says about truth is this. If, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Uh, check this out in verse or in chapter two, verse four, whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, the truth walks in truth. Love for God is truly made complete in them. Then John goes on throughout the rest of first John. And he said, you know how we know what love is? It's you love or how we know that you're walking in truth and how we know that you're walking in the light that you would love other people. Amen. One of the primary steps to you creating a welcoming culture, creating a welcoming heart for yourself toward others is walking in the truth of Christ Jesus. When you walk in the truth, you walk in the light. When you walk in the light, you walk in love. They're synonymous. They never were meant to be separated. And I think the church today has tried to separate them. We've called love over here like kind of mushy and we've called truth over here kind of firm. I've got convictions. I've got truth. I've got good orthodox theology and love over here. And we've separated. Do you know that they're not to be separated? You can hold on to convictions. You can hold on to truth, but you at no point in your life, believer, can hate another person and call yourself walking with the Lord. It does not work. It doesn't, I don't care if they vote differently than you. 
We've seen this all over the place, inside the church and outside of the church, especially in the last five years, 10 years. It, keep, it feels like it just keeps getting worse where people in the church are like, I'm holding on to truth. And then over here, they've missed love. And I'm like, they're not mutually exclusive. They never were. They're never supposed to be. Whether they, they're raising a flag that you don't like, whether they're touting theology and philosophy that you don't like, and I'm not saying that you have flimsy theology. That's not what I'm talking about. In fact, this doesn't mean that you change what you believe. This does not mean we change what we believe about God's word. We're not changing God's word. It does mean that you change how you treat people. It means that you change how you treat people. It means it's the question here, can you love someone that is totally different than you? This takes me to my third point. How do you create a welcoming culture? And it's that you help strangers. Did you notice the word that, that John says toward Gaius? He said, I, I noticed, I, I'm commending you for this. I heard how you welcomed these people into your house church, even though they were strangers to you. You know what strangers are? They're strange. They're weird. There's a reason that we say stranger danger. Strangers are weird. And you're probably weird and I'm probably weird to someone that doesn't know us. Just think about people that are strange. They have a, maybe it's a different culture, a different dialect, a different language, different belief systems. They're strange to us. And you know what strangeness does to us? It makes us uncomfortable. And John right here, he's like, hey, Gaius, I, I just can't, I, I commend you. You're welcoming people that might actually be from a different country. You're Greek, they might be Hebrew. There are all kinds of divisions between the Greeks and the Hebrews in the New Testament. It's the reason that Paul wrote about it in I think every single letter. They're strange, they're different. There's some, <clears throat> there's a couple words here that come out in the text that are in Greek. So the New Testament was written in the Greek language. And, um, and there's this word that we have that you probably have heard before. You may, may have heard it quite a bit in the last five to 10 years, the word xenophobia that comes from two, two Greek words. Xeno is stranger and phobia, you know what a phobia is, it's a fear. So xenophobia is a fear, literally by definition, it's a fear of a stranger. Right here in the text though, when John uses this word stranger and later he uses the word hospitality, this word hospitality all throughout the New Testament, do you know what it is? It's xenophileo. Phileo is where we get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It's no longer fear of the stranger, it's love for the stranger. This is the church. It's not fear, I'm not afraid of the stranger. I love the stranger. And this is written to a church where the stranger is throwing them in jail. The stranger is persecuting them. The stranger is turning them in and, and Christians, believers all around the, Ro the Greco-Roman world are being put to death for their belief. And John's like, you know what? I, I'm, I'm glad that you're welcoming the stranger. You love the stranger. That's, that's the love of Christ. Helping strangers. Uh, Carrie Sinclair Wolcott says this, the pagans in Gaius's world apparently had little regard for traveling strangers who needed hospitality. For John in these letters, the tipping point between light and dark, 
Read the rest, read first and second John two with, with third John, it's unbelievable. The tipping point for John in these books between light and dark, obedience and disobedience, love and hate is found in action. Faith and truth are not proved by clean clothes or pious words or disproved by tattoos or past mistakes. The proof of faith in tr and truth is in loving actions embodied by an open door or a welcoming hand. How can you see and serve the travelers you encounter in your life? Carrie Sinclair Wolcott. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book in the last several years called Talking to Strangers. And in it, he assesses this phenomenon, this, this, whole, uh, this whole dichotomy between us and the person who's strange to us. And uh, Gladwell writes this, we think we can easily see into the hearts of others based on the flimsiest of clues. We jump at the chance to judge strangers. We would never do that to ourselves, of course. We are nuanced, complex, and enigmatic, but the stranger is easy. If I can convince you of one thing in this book, let it be this, strangers are not easy. Isn't that interesting? We feel like we can profile, I know what they're all about. Oh, I know what their background is. And immediately we start to put a barrier between us and the stranger, which is the one in the New Testament. I'm telling you, go and the, the one that Jesus is actually calling us to invite in. Do you know Jesus was actually called, and this was derogatory for him. He was called a friend of sinners. That was one of his most common nicknames because he hung out with who? Prostitutes and tax collectors, people who are stealing from people regularly and people who are selling their bodies for money. That's crazy, that's extreme. Like this is, this is who Jesus is, the friend of the stranger, the one who loves the stranger. Gladwell goes on to say this in his book, to assume the best about another is the trait that has created modern society. Those occasions when our trusting nature gets violated are tragic, but the alternative to abandon trust as a defense against predation and deception is worse. Can you walk in truth? Can you walk in love? Can you walk in hospitality? The fourth is this, to create a welcoming culture is just to show hospitality. <clears throat> A couple of weeks ago, it was a Saturday night, Saturday night service. And I like to walk in the back as service is starting and just see who's waiting, who's looking for a chair, maybe who I can help. And uh, service had started, music was playing up here. It was loud in here. For some of you, it's too loud. I'm sorry, but I'm not super sorry because we like it loud. But so the, someone's standing right back here in the middle and, um, and he was a young man and I walk up to him and he's clear, he's looking at his phone and I walk up to him and I say, hey, can I, can I help you? Are you, you need a seat? Can I, he's, ah, I'm looking for a, looking for, my friends are here. I'm not sure where they're at. And I'm like, well, that's like a needle in a haystack. So I'm like, I, I don't know. So he had his phone out and he, he had this picture up of his friends. They took a selfie of themselves like this in the worship space. I was like, that's, Probably not helpful for them to find him, but you know, I can actually, I, so I peek over at his phone. I don't know if that's rude. It's probably rude, isn't it? I'm like looking over at his phone. Oh, um, yeah, I know, that's, yeah, that's Drew. 
yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah really? I, I, know where he usually, I know where he usually sits. Why don't you wait here? So it's right back there. Why don't you wait here and I'll go and, I'll go and look. And so people are singing and I walked right down the aisle and Drew and his friends usually sit right in here on Saturday nights and they had a whole row. There wasn't one seat left. I walk up and I was like, I noticed Drew from behind his hair was wild. <laughs> his wild hair. And I'm super jealous of it because I can't grow hair anymore. So I noticed him from behind. I was like, oh yeah, I found him. So I go back to this guy and I'd say, hey, come, come with me. I'll walk you up to your, I know where your friend's at. So I come up, put my hand on his shoulder right up here. And he turns and he sees his friend and his eyes light up. And he points at him and then he looks around and there's not a, and this all happened in real fast. You know how this happens. So he's looking around, he's like, there's not a chair. So he points to his friend right over here across the aisle. And I was like, is he gonna make his friends? And a split second later, he puts his hand on his friend next to him and on the one on, on, the one on his right and on his left. And he pulls them with him from right here and they go out into the aisle in the middle of worship and they walk right over here and they sit together with their friend. That is good hospitality. That is good welcome. We have a team. We have a team, a frontline team, new connections team. We have, we have hospitality teams. You know what? I want hospitality in our, in our church to go way beyond. You are all on the hospitality team. You're all on the welcome team. If you see people that are sitting by themselves, if you see people that are like, I think that they're new here. If you see people that are like, I think I need to go and talk to them then do it. Go and show hospitality. I loved what I saw in Drew and in some of their friends that day. Show hospitality. But there are steps to kill a welcoming culture and Diotrephes is a textbook case at it. Let's read back what John says about Diotrephes. Third John verse nine, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes who loves to be first will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing. He's gonna confront it. Yep. Spreading malicious nonsense about us, not satisfied with that. He even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and he puts them out of the church. Four steps to kill a welcoming culture is, is first and foremost, just love to be first. In fact, this could probably preach way more than just about welcoming culture and hospitality. For, this is a step to kill anything, to kill any relationship that you're in. Love to be first. Love to be first. Do you love to be first? I like to be first. I remember in, in high school, I was trying out for a musical and it was my senior year. And I thought for sure I was gonna get lead and I didn't get lead and I was crushed. And part of why I was crushed was not just the disappointment. It was that I had come to expect that I was going to be first. Sports teams, who selected as captain, who got starting position. Have you ever thought you were gonna start and you weren't called as the starting 11? the starting five, basket, whatever, the number, you weren't called, you had to sit on the bench. What does that do? 
I've watched athletes as a coach completely change their whole demeanor, turn inward, turn ugly toward the team. Why? Because they're not first anymore. I'm not playing on this team. I'm done with this. Who loves to be first? We all love to be first, in fact. How do people know you? If someone were to say, Jim, Sarah, Ashley, what would they say after? For diatrophies, the first thing that John says, he loves to be first. Would they say, oh yeah, Jim, he's the one that screams at the refs every game. Yeah, I know who that guy is, that's the guy. Come on, some of you, that's you. Stop it, just stop doing that. Stop doing that. It's not a good example for your kids. It's not a good example for our community, right? It's not a good reflection of Jesus. Okay, stop it. Stop it, okay. Who's, oh yeah, actually, she's the, isn't she the one that always talks negatively about herself, just that doesn't have anything good to say? How do people know you? Maybe they don't say this about you, but they think it about you. How do people know you? Who loves to be first. John Tyson says this, love is an others-centered orientation. It's an others-centered orientation. Second step to kill a welcoming culture from our text today is be exclusive. Notice what John says, he would not welcome us and he refused to welcome other believers, be exclusive. Literal meaning of the word is that he would not receive. Now think with me who he's not receiving. He's not receiving John, the apostle who walked with Jesus. John is, if you go back through, through uh, the gospels, John is the only disciple out of 12 who doesn't abandon Jesus. He's with Jesus at the cross. In fact, Jesus tells John some of his last words from the cross. He says, hey, son, John right here, here's your mother. And he points to his mom, Mary, the Virgin Mary. John is now taking care of the Virgin Mary. This is a big deal. This would be like Billy Graham coming through here and we're like, eh, we got it taken care of, bro. Just get out of here. We don't need you. We don't need any of your teaching. We don't need any, we've got it together. This is Diotrephes. He refused to welcome. He's exclusive. He's exclusive. Excludes other people. Hospitality, Henry Nouwen says this. I love this quote from Nouwen. I love Nouwen's stuff. Hospitality means primarily the creation of free space where the stranger can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. Hospitality, listen to this church, because some of you have gotten this. Some of us have gotten this wrong. I've gotten this wrong. Often, I have to check this. Hospitality is not to change people, but to offer them space where change can take place. I, I want you to hear me on this. It's not that good theology isn't important. It's not that truth isn't important. It's that that step is a part of a whole trajectory, a whole journey for people where first and foremost, we offer them hospitality, loving them as a stranger and not just changing their strangeness to us right away, but loving them in spite of their strangeness. Number three, four steps to kill a welcoming culture, spread slander. Notice what he says here. He said that this guy, Diotrephes, he's spreading malicious nonsense about us. There's two words here in the Greek that John uses. Nonsense is a word that only shows up one time in all of the New Testament. 
It's hard to find because it's only right here. It's hard. It's almost like John's like, I need such a crazy word. I am gonna use one that no one else has used. And when you look up a definition in the dictionary, this is what I did this week. I looked up an English de, in the English dictionary, a definition of nonsense, and these synonyms came up. Balderdash, blather and blarney, hogwash and gobbledygook, baloney and flapdoodle. These are words that we as English speaking people have come up with to try to describe nonsense. We've made up nonsense to describe nonsense. This is what John is saying. They've, they're, they're spreading stuff that doesn't even make any sense. It's bizarre. It's crazy. It's preposterous. It's flapdoodle. I mean, spreading slander. And not only is it flapdoodle and hogwash, it's malicious. And now this word is a little bit harder hitting. Malicious is evil. John uses this same word for malicious throughout first, second, and third John to describe actions, people, and words that are completely opposite of the light of Jesus. People and things and actions in words that are in darkness. How to kill a welcoming culture, spread slander, and the last is hinder self and others. He literally stopped other people from welcoming. What are ways, what are things that hinder you from hospitality? What are things that hinder us? If you look inward, here are some things that I think hinder a spirit in a culture of welcome. A critical spirit. People who are critical all the time. Are you critical all the time? How about this one, an anxious presence. Do you feel comfortable, uh, comfortable around people who are anxious all the time? The answer is probably no. It's actually going to make you more anxious and less comfortable. Dave Beach, several years ago, on our, he was on our staff several years ago and he was talking about this type of an ethos. And he said, these, these are people who have a non-anxious presence. Dallas Willard, the late Dallas Willard, he, he wrote... Um, he was talking to a disciple of his, someone that he was mentoring and had for years. And he asked the question, if you could describe Jesus in one word, what would it be? And the disciple couldn't really come up with one. He was like, I don't know, holy, divine, love, grace, all true, all of these, how could I? And he turns it on Willard and Willard kind of smirks. He just patiently paused and he said, relaxed. Jesus was relaxed. Welcomed, invited people right in. How about this one, a fixation on perfection? I do this every single, every single time life group rolls around. Anyone else with me? Life group rolls around, it's Tuesday evening, our group is coming, I get home and boom! I notice everything that's not in its place. What is going on? Kids, what are you doing? I turn into a, I turn into a crazy person. Perfectionism will hinder, it hinders our ability to welcome other people into our space. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have everything together to welcome and to love people. Be second, be an includer, be an encourager, be a helper, love through welcome. I actually want to take the remainder of our time this morning and welcome uh, a new staff member and his wife up to the stage to share a little bit. Can you guys welcome with me Max and Brianna? 
Spolstra. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, Max and Brianna, Max just came on staff on August 1st, so about six, seven weeks ago. You've seen him around probably, but we wanted to just give him some time and some space to kind of ease in slowly. But I'll tell you a little bit about what Max is doing um, in a little bit, but I'd like for them to introduce themselves, maybe share a little bit about yourselves, what you guys like to do together. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, hello, Impact Church. Uh, again, my name is Max. This is my beautiful wife, Brianna. We um, are local in the Grand Rapids area. Um, we actually both graduated from Lowell High School, go Red Arrows, um, circa 2013, uh, dated right. throughout college. Um, and then we were married about six years ago um, and have just been you know, walking through life, walking through ministry for the last six, six, uh, six plus years together. Um, you want to share a little bit about like what we like to do, that kind of stuff? Sure. Um, so we actually uh, have two dogs and two cats, but the two dogs take up a lot of time because yeah, one is a puppy. Yeah. Dog <laughs> so, lovers, where are the dog lovers out there? Come on. Yeah. Okay. So we do spend a lot of time training the puppy and going on hikes, um, doing outdoor stuff. I'm also a travel agent, so we like to travel. We just spent some time down in Florida visiting Max's brother. Um, so I think we just like to do kind of adventurous stuff together. We, uh, we love games, so if uh, any board game fans out there, uh, we'd love to, to hang out. We, I think something we've developed over the last few years is just a love for being with others um, and just inviting people into our space, stepping into other people's spaces, um, and just connecting and getting to know uh, family and friends and, and that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, so you guys grew up in Lowell. What's, what are you excited about coming back into this community? What's kind of drawn you back? Um, here to Lowell, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so we have parents that live in the area still. We have friends that we know from high school that are in the area. So I think we're excited to kind of be closer to them. Um, we have kind of followed along with what's been happening in Lowell since we graduated. I um, have an office in Lowell that I'm in once a week, uh, mostly work from home. But so it's exciting for me to be able to be here more often and get reconnected with the community and things that we knew when we were here and now are kind of like seeing what's changed and how we can reconnect. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like uh, we're rediscovering Lowell because so much has changed in the last five years. Like Backwater Grill is now this amazing Mexican place. Mm, come on. Um, here we go. Which uh, we, um, last night we mentioned that and then we got out of service and we were like, I'm hungry. Did you go to Savoy? We, we went to Savoy and got oh, some, got some empanadas awesome. and uh, it's what we're going to have for lunch again today. <laughs> okay. um, and it's just so cool. Like so much has changed, but so much has stayed the same. So uh, a lot of the places that we remember, um, we see again, but there's a lot of not just new places, but like new people, new faces. Um, and so we're really excited just to connect again, like she said, with the community and just learn, um, be a part of what God's doing here <laughs> in the town. Yeah. Yeah, so Max is coming on. Um, so Max's title is Campus Team Building Pastor. So Max, um, one of the things we discovered really this, when we first started meeting a little bit back in the spring, is just he has a knack for systems and for leadership development. And uh, we've had this on our heart. If you've been around Impact the last several years, you know that we've had this on our heart to be a uh, campus building church. Um, from the beginning, for the last 20 years, we've been a multiplying church. 
We have a, a, a multiplication of church planting network that's called Greenhouse. We plant churches we, and we want to be about, to continue to be about multiplication. So Max is coming on um, as our campus team building pastor. We don't have a lot of answers. So if you've got like questions afterward, like where are you gonna plant? What are you doing? Who are the teams? We have a lot of questions too. <laughs> we have a lot of questions too. We're this, asking them. <laughs> yeah, we're asking questions and we're building up teams and we're, it, we're super excited. But yeah. Max, you, you go ahead and share like, what are you excited about in terms of developing um, and being a part of like this multiplying culture here? Yeah. Um, how do you see like yourself yeah, um, for sure. Um, thriving in it. Yeah. So I stepped into ministry um, as a student ministry pastor, um, just a love and a heart for the next generation, which is a huge draw for what we're doing here. I love what Impact is doing this year with a heart to chase after the next generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as we felt like that God was calling us out of one ministry calling and into another, we kind of had to stop and pause and say, okay, so God, what do you want for us? What do you want us to pursue for your kingdom? And through a lot of prayer and just, scripture and conversations and reflection, um, what I felt like God was laying on my heart was um, that I felt, God, I feel like you're calling me to help raise up leaders, spiritual leaders um, in the next generation of the church, Uh, both maybe with students, but just throughout the generations, there is, um, the church right now needs more leaders. It needs more pastors, it needs more missionaries, but it also needs more church members saying, I'm a leader too, I'm a part of this, and mm. I want to chase after kingdom, kingdom advancement. And so uh, what mm. we're excited about um, when we talk about multiplication through church planting, through campusing, this and that, and really any of that, like any use of the word multiplication, mm. multiplication isn't about numbers. It's not about locations or sites and being in more places. Um, it's about life transformation and it's about, uh, it's about spiritual leaders raising up, um, more opportunities for the church to recognize the way that God has gifted us and calls us into ministry, whether as vocation or just as sacrificial uh, servitude to to, to the king. Um, so that's what we're excited about. We're mm. stepping into this next season saying, mm. God, what do you have in store for us? And what do you have in store for a church that is raising people up to know their giftedness and be activated to use them? Mm. Yeah. I just want to tag onto that and say, like, my favorite place in the church has always been on a serve team. Um, and I've got to spend a little time in kid zone and find what that place is here. But I think that's a really good part of this multiplication aspect is the volunteer leaders um, and how much of the heart of the church that they carry. Yeah. And so that's been really cool for us to be able to come into that and see where the heart is, where the culture is, and just get connected in that way. Yeah, yeah that's good. Um, can we welcome them and just say we're so glad, we are so glad you're here. Um, yeah, it's been a joy uh, to have you on the team. And um, I'm just excited for what God has next. God's doing some amazing things around our church and around our community, isn't he? God is doing some amazing things and we are just wanting to be obedient. We're wanting to be obedient people that follow after the king. I mean, I love how you even said that. Follow after the king to see his kingdom advance. Um, So why don't, as we... As we leave today, as we dismiss, would you pray for us, Max? Yeah, I would love to. Okay, thanks. 
Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word and your truth that we can gather here today just to sit under your instruction um, to examine our lives and examine our hospitality to others, to examine our heart posture. Hmm. Uh, God, we know that you are constantly calling us forward as followers of you, as a church, as a community, to be able to reach the unreached. And so, Lord, today, as we uh, talk about um, what it means to serve others and to love others mm -hmm. and put the other first, God, as we talk about what you have in store for uh, multiplication and multiplying your movement, Lord, I pray first and foremost that we would just quiet our hearts and sit at your feet. Lord, thank you for this time that we've been able to worship with our community. May you continue to bless us as we walk out and carry your word into our workplaces, into our schools, into our friends and our neighborhoods um, to yeah. share the gospel of who you are and what you've done yes, for us. God. We love you in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Hey, thanks for coming this morning. You are dismissed this time. Go and live out the love, the welcoming love of Jesus this week. We'll see you next week.